Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Podcast listeners, Al Martin here. Thank you for making your way to Making Data Simple today. I am going to jump right in, waste no time, but I hope you're well. Today, my guest is Matt Cowell. Uh, Matt is the CEO at Quantum, and they are a leading data upskilling and assessment platform that creates a data literate workforce across the entire enterprise. They like to address one of the most significant corporate challenges of the 2020s, which is the data skill gap right up my alley. <laughs> Matt has spent 15 plus years running product and tech. He's been part of Daxco, I believe. You know, you led revenue growth and everything else, but also one of the first machine learning and AI solutions for the gym and fitness market. I'd like to talk to you about that. You were the SVP of a product for ministry brands. You're now that's landed you at QuantHub. Just let me pause and allow you to introduce yourself. No, that's great. Al, I appreciate you having me on the podcast. Looking forward to the conversation. At QuantHub, our mission is actually to um, significantly increase the data fluency of individuals and organizations all over the world. So like you said, it, it's certainly one of the biggest problems of the 2020s and we are passionate about making a big difference in that space. I think it's almost like computational literacy, if you will, back in the 90s, you know, using a computer just was no longer optional. And so now we're kind of getting to that point with data that, you know, it's something that each and every one of us need and we need to know how to use it well. Makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, look, I own the uh, learning for services. I'm, I, I head the services division in IBM right now, delivery. You know, I've owned learning and, you know, I know I, at one point in time, I think it was the 22nd global CEO survey, 55% admit their organizations can't meet uh, demand around skill gaps. Yeah. Uh, data being number one. I'm sure you got more statistics than we can say. <laughs> yeah. How do you go from SVP of software products to now, hey, I'm getting in the data learning business? Yeah, actually, I, I've been, you know, basically CTO type roles at, at uh, back at Daxco. We, we've grown really quickly over 10 years of being there, and I led product and tech through, through that entire journey. And I just wanted to do something earlier stage and, and actually met um, the founders of, of QuantHub, which really was incubated inside of an AI consulting company. And um, and so they you know, had this problem firsthand where it was very difficult to hire data scientists and, and also very difficult to you know, upskill really their workforce. And they saw the same thing within their customers' workforces. And so they started building you know, what became QuantHub to use internally. And then they really thought there was a market for it and just really didn't see anything out there like it. And they wanted somebody that had a product and tech background to spin it off as a separate company, raise money and sort of have our own future. And so I happened to meet them in 2018 and really hit it off and, and kind of loved the space. I love big sort of macro problems like this one. And uh, so came on, we didn't have any customers, didn't, didn't have much of a product at the time. This is back in April of 2018. And yeah, that's how we got our start. <laughs> yeah, great, great. How do you define data literacy? It could be that could be a big definition. Uh, where does the scope start, end, begin? I tend not to think about it like that. Just candidly, uh, people have broad definitions of data literacy that 
you know, you want to think data or, or speak data or these types of things that doesn't really mean a lot to most people. So for me, it means something different. And, and this is very much our approach at Quant Hub. It's an individual journey. And so, you know, if, if you're in customer support, it means something different than if you're on the finance team or if you're in marketing, you're probably already somewhat data driven. So data literacy for you may be a little further down the spectrum, but ultimately we're all inundated with data every day. And so it comes down to, do we recognize data in its use cases? Do we see data as an asset? Do we understand our role in the data quality life cycle? A lot of people, when they think of data, they just simply think of charts. And I would say most people think of that. And that is a part of it, obviously, but it's, it's definitely not the whole story. Most of us actually create data every day. I mean, people like customer support reps, they're creating data by entering cases into systems and data quality is a huge aspect of what they're doing, but they don't realize it. And that's, you know, so data literacy for them is realizing their role in that quality life cycle and what those use cases are downstream and why it matters that they don't put default values in, you know, some of the different fields within the CRM. And so I think it, it means something different to everyone, but ultimately it, it understanding how we interact with data how we can use data to be better at our jobs and you know how data skills are important in our overall career and advancement. At IBM here, you know, we obviously I've I've had a lot of focus on data and we define data, you know, in a number of different areas. But the best way maybe is the maturity curve where it's collect, that'd be your data repositories, organize, right. governance, analyze, analytics, and infuse. Now, do you teach all that or are you I mean, do you, do you teach the, the products and, and how to best assess where you are in a maturity curve and then how to get from point A to point B? Or is it more in line with, let me examine your data estate and let me tell you what you have and what you don't have and how you can get more out of it? Yeah, it, it really is more of a, an individual maturity. We like to think of data personas and skill personas. And so it starts with everyone being data citizens. And that is definitely where you, you know, realize your role in the data quality life cycle. You understand use cases. You understand a little bit of numerical reasoning and statistics, not a lot. You understand a little bit of visual literacy, not necessarily creating charts, but understanding how to read different chart types, you know, those types of skills. And then, you know, we're all data citizens, each and every one of us. You know, most of us are also doing some aspect of data storytelling, just like you and I are on this podcast today. And so most people do data storytelling. So crafting a narrative, understanding a narrative arc, understanding different components of visual literacy, chart selection. Um, and then you get into a data explorer persona where you are starting to do some analysis. Um, and so in that case, you are um, doing a little bit of data exploration. Um, you're not maybe at the sort of professional analytics level, but maybe you're a marketing analyst or you're a financial analyst and you're kind of in that data explorer type persona. So that's the way we think about it is there's a spectrum of skill and it goes from data citizen all the way to your data scientist, your data engineer. For us, we only focus on data. So, you know, it's important for us that we can address that entire spectrum. So that's where I was kind of going. You only focus on data. So what don't you focus on? What's out of scope? I mean, there's a lot of things to tell you. Is governance out of scope? I mean, that's kind of data, right? That's cataloging. So that's still in scope. Right. Do you lean more on towards data science? You say, oh, that's just one element of the entire use case. As a company, we got our start as a hiring assessment platform. 
And so our assessments started actually being very focused on data science and data engineering. We have now expanded into upskilling and you know, we're an early stage company with upskilling. We started our platform focused on kind of data literacy, the, really the broad data citizen type role and have expanded up into data science and data engineering. But to your question though, data cataloging, data stewardship, you know, these data governance, these types of topics are certainly important and ones that we cover as well. Kind of re- reference this, but I think this is important to the overall story of Quanhub. How was the company born? I mean, where did this start? Somebody was trying to solve a problem at some point and said, hey, there's nobody to do this or I can do it better than everybody else. How was it born? Yeah, it started really with a few bad hires, quite frankly, as in, <laughs> data, science, in data science. It was a relatively small management consultancy focused on data and made a few bad hires. You know, they were based a lot on pedigree. And so one, for example, was a PhD from a you know, high level institution that everyone recognizes. And, you know, you would expect that person to be able to then go in and sort of translate those skills into business application and so on. And it just ended up being a bad hire for the reason of, of actually technical skills and applying those technical skills to business problems. And, and so they're like, this is crazy, right? Like, you know, we're hiring from the best and brightest, if you will, and, and still struggling. And so there's got to be a better way. And they just, they looked out there to see if there was anything out there. And, and there are plenty of assessment platforms, but really most of them, almost all of them are focused there on the technical side. They're focused on programming. You know, in, in data science, programming is important, but end all be all of that role. A model will give you a result, but it may not be the right result. And understanding, you know, what's really behind that and the different algorithms and, and approaches for tuning models and, and selecting the appropriate algorithm, cleansing data, dealing with missing data, you know, just dealing with quality issues around data. Those concepts are critically important as well. And, and so for us, we really got our start by creating a platform more focused on the kind of broad uh, sort of conceptual skills, if you will, rather than the applied just programming skills. And that's how we got our start. And we, you know, we got off to a great start. One of the largest management consulting companies in the world uses us globally for their hiring. Sort of their, our data science assessment is their standard for hiring. HP uses us as well. So we just had, you know, we got off to a good start just because there really aren't platforms out there that are as focused on the conceptual side, really making sure a person understands what they're doing. And so that's how we got our start, just, you know, saw a need and the company created something to use internally and then said, well, maybe, maybe the fact that we needed this and didn't see it out there is, is an indicator of a broader market problem. And it was. Is it an element of services, an element of development? Is it, it, it learning a little bit of everything? In services in terms of um, the type of offering? Mm-hmm. So no, it's just, it's completely SaaS software. So we, um, the assessment platform, we have a huge library of questions and it's based on item response theory, which is an computer-based adaptive testing methodology. Like if you've taken the GMAT test or any of these types of assessments, certainly seen it, it gets harder as you're doing well, it gets easier as you're doing poorly. Um, The fact that it's adaptive, candidates don't necessarily get the same questions, which protects the access to the questions, you know, people, they're not all over the internet and, and it's allows you to really hone in on an individual skill set. So that's all SaaS software. And then on the upskilling side, it's SaaS software as well. We are not a quote unquote, traditional training platform. We are really a micro learning type platform. 
Um, there's there are a lot of stats out there around learning that show that you know kind of long form learning is just not very effective. <laughs> People you know they go through long form learning, meaning when you learn for some reason we learn very effectively when we're on the job. You know we know tomorrow maybe I need to do something and I don't know how to do it, and so I just simply start searching. I find the answer and I use it, and I'm learning on the job. And we all do that very effectively. But when we know we need to learn. For some reason, we are like, oh, I better schedule time. I better get outside of work and go learn and go find time to quote unquote learn. And unfortunately, what happens is you lose about 90% of that information in the first month. It's just not very effective. And so we're much more of a continuous learning, a little bit every day, assessment based. So we always know what you need to know next. You know, we're much more of that type of continuous learning solution. That's interesting. I'm going to come back to that. Yep. <laughs> I, have, I have some questions on that. But so give me a client use case. I mean, there's a lot of people listening right now. I mean, what should they be thinking? What can they expect? What's the engagement process? Kind of walk me through it, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. What we're finding, actually, is that there's almost always someone inside of these larger organizations that are championing data literacy across the enterprise. And so it could be someone that's in a chief data officer type role. It could be someone that's in learning and development within HR. One of our largest customers is Southern Company. On the upskilling side, Southern Company um, is a power utility conglomerate out of the southeastern part of the U.S., huge Fortune 150 company, and they have a, a large data literacy initiative, and it happens to have a sponsor within IT. We've had great conversation with them over the last year and ended up doing a big rollout. You know, 75% of the users of our upskilling products are outside of IT. You know, that's where data literacy is a problem that is not just a technical problem. It is a problem that exists across the entire workforce. And so, which is why it's not always the same person championing it. It could be a large sales organization that, you know, they're selling to technical buyers and, you know, they need to be more data literate, or maybe they need to use ROI more effectively to drive sales processes forward. And so they need to be more data literate across the team to do so. It could be a marketing team. There's data out there that shows that data-driven marketing yields a, a 5X ROI over traditional marketing. And so there are CMOs out there that want to make their team more data-driven. And there's a you know plenty of data literacy skills needed to make that happen. So I don't want to say it depends, but there's not a data literacy czar, if you will, inside of companies quite yet. And, and so it ends up being a little bit circumstantial depending on the company. You know, somebody comes in and they're trying to, let's say they're trying to build a, um, I don't want to say data literacy. I mean, it's kind of like you mentioned, I had a question on this, the CDO. You got a CDO, they're trying to create a, an environment by which they can best use their, their data, mm-hmm. apply analytics on their data, and then also, you know, say they're promoting machine learning and AI on their data. Right. Um, do you come in, make an assessment as to, you know, where they are? I mean, you know, give them a grade, so to speak, and then say, hey, where you could be, and then provide kind of the lay of the land of, of what that desired state would look like? We're not necessarily doing that type of assessment at the organization level on their data itself. Um, ours is, we're, we're a human capital, you know, transformation type of solution. Our system, basically the very first step when you start rolling out um, a system like ours is people will, they will take a short assessment, but by short, I mean like 10 minutes. And and then immediately they're seeing learning recommendations that are directly related to um, to their skill. 
And so we're not necessarily coming in and making the case for the transformation, if you will. Um, our customers are ones that understand that they should be more data-driven. They just don't know how to get started. They see it's a problem across tens of thousands of employees, and you can't just roll out a training solution and say, hey, here's a license to you know, leading training provider X. I'm going to hand it out to these 10,000 people and go search data skills on there and <laughs> get to work. doesn't quite work that way. And so our customers are ones that know they have a challenge, and they just don't know how to solve it. Yeah, but how can you separate what you're doing and some of the learning plans that you're talking about from the need for some, maybe some transformational change? And the reason I ask that is because you just got through saying, if I heard you right, 70% of the training you do is outside of IT. And my experience tells me that to be data literate, first and foremost, you know, folks, you've got to have data democracy. If that makes you got to democratize your data. Yeah, yeah. You've got to give it to more people. And then that becomes a, a sticky point, largely with IT. Nothing against the folks that are listening to part of IT. I've been a part of IT, but they're trying to control that data because, boy, if it gets out, then you can have breaches. You don't want to get the wrong person. It's a lot of work, you know, to divide by persona. But to your point, the only way it really becomes effective is if you're able to democratize and give it to the business and the business is able to make decisions off of it like right. a marketing and I guess what I'm trying to say, coming back, I got to believe as part of the learning plans through your workings with a company or, I don't know, through the learning itself, perhaps, they've got to identify, hey, you, there's a gap. O only the two personas of the five are learning right now, and we need to spread this out or, or you're not going to be effective no matter how much learning you do. Does that make sense? I don't know. So in terms of a of them trying to figure out how to solve the problem, you're saying Yeah, they come to you with a problem, right? And then and the problem is is a lot of times what I see is it an organizational problem, a data democratization problem. In other words, not sharing the data for people to make the right decisions. Uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is so looping it back, probably not asking a very good question here. No, that's uh, okay. My point is I gotta believe the learning plans are gonna be tr transformative in some form or another to be able to solve some of the problems I just mentioned inherently. I think if, if you have leaders that understand the value of data, then they see their teams and their, and their weaknesses and they're, you know, they're looking at their KPIs and seeing areas for improvement. And so in many cases, you know, there, there can be lots of reasons that organizations can improve and it and whatever organization might be marketing, sales, finance, you know, they're, there are plenty of opportunities for improvement typically within those organizations. But I think data-minded leaders and the ones we talk to, they recognize that the lack of skill and particularly around data is one of the biggest things that's holding them back. Where we kind of fit in or where, where I see that sort of then evolving is it goes back to they recognize that there's a problem, but how do you solve that problem? I mean, you have a, an organization of of hundreds of, of people in a non-IT, quote unquote, organization that need more technical skills around data. How do you solve that? Those people don't necessarily want these skills. I mean, they don't know it, right? They're, they're not like, that's oh my, my gosh, I need to go learn data skills. <laughs> yeah, that's not my point, right? I think you're going to be transformative no matter what, because I think you're absolutely right. Just in that point alone, a lot of the folks, they've got to use the data. I don't know if they want 
to have those technical skills, but even so they need them. You're trying to teach them and convince them, Hey, it's not that hard. You can do this and you're going to be better off for it. I really personally love the example in the early nineties of we all had to start using computers. <laughs> I don't know that it was the majority at the time. You know, a lot of people came, you know, kind of kicking and, and screaming, if you will, into using computers and didn't want to do it, but it just became to where that's table stakes. Like you can't, function in a corporate environment without being able to use computers. Plenty of research on this, the data is becoming like that. It's not there yet, but it is becoming like that where every aspect of an organization is becoming data-driven. Companies are at wildly different stages of this transformation, but most companies are aware this is happening and you know some are early adopters some some are laggards you know and that's just kind of kind of normal but for companies that do understand this like, like you said people may not know that they or may not be bought in that they need these skills and so when we think about it you know just kind of thinking about that i feel like it's parents making their kids eat their vegetables a little bit like our parents know in this in that case that we need to eat our vegetables because it's good for us and i think as we see this transformation happening there's going to be an aspect of that where, you know, the parents are, are forcing the children, if you will, maybe a bad analogy, but um, forcing the children to eat their vegetables. And at some point, the kids like the vegetables <laughs> and they realize it's good for them and then they do it themselves. <laughs> so what does a learning plan then look like? And I think you might have said this earlier. Is it based on persona? Is it based off industry? Because, I, you know, by example, on the industry side, I got to believe if you're learning in the government around data, that's very different a lot more stipulations than if you're in the public sector. Well, just give me an idea of what the learning plans may look like. For us, actually, everything is very much tailored to the individual through assessments. And these aren't big tests and, and stressful things. It's just what gives us an ability to make things targeted at the individual. But back to the personas. So out of the box, the way we approach it is with relatively broad personas like data citizen, data storyteller, data explorer, these types of things that are sort of generally applicable and you know we're early stage companies, so we'll continue to see more of this happen. But we go into companies and then they have their own competency framework. And some of that is tied to industry specific roles like at Southern Company where it's, you know, it's very utility focused. There are a lot of skills that are applicable there and working with data is different there than it is in, in maybe a manufacturing company or a healthcare company. And so it's important for us as a software company to be configurable to where out of the box, we do have um, personas that are more general, allowing companies to sort of tailor that to to their specific industry and their sort of roles is, is important. And because of that, so we're a curation platform. We don't create training content. Um, there's so much freely available content. Actually, you guys at IBM have, have a lot of great content online. Um, People like Google, Microsoft have free training online. So there are a lot of really good online training providers that have free content because companies like you guys benefit greatly from a more data literate world. That's just part of your business. And, and so for us, we just curate content because there's so much great content out there. And part of that curation model includes internal content within our customers. And in that way, that enables us to have kind of industry specific personas, if you will. I mean, this is the interesting part, really, for me, because I, I find myself as a, a continuous learner. Mm -hmm. so I, I, I fall off the wagon sometimes as well. Like you mentioned, there's a lot of free stuff out there, a ton of free stuff a out ton, there. A ton, yep. 
I presume yours are for fee, for, for purchase. So there's intellectual capital there. What's the value proposition that you're presenting that separates itself from that, you know, somebody that's surfing the web that can try to learn, 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 you know, with some of the free content? You know, making sure that the content, number one, is good. Um, obviously, we have a, a, an important QA function in, in our curation to make sure that it is good content. Um, but it's also getting the right content in front of people at the right time. Most people aren't very good at, at knowing what skills they have and what skills they don't in detail. And, and that's where you know our assessments come in. Uh, most people also don't understand aspects of learning like spaced repetition, where when you first learn something, you're very, very likely to forget it quickly right after you learn it if you don't use it. And so resurfacing that material in front of you and making sure you use it or you kind of basically get it out of your brain again is, is what makes you remember it. And that's a concept called spaced repetition. And, and so those types of things are just part of our continuous learning model. And you don't get that if, if you're just searching Google for, for something. You're not sure what you need. You know, you're not great at, at knowing your own skills, what skills are important in, in a role like yours, um, what skills you need next, how do you best learn those, where's the best content, how do you make sure you don't forget it? All of these types of things are what, you know, kind of micro learning solutions like ours are very good at. What's it make a micro? Define micro. 10 minutes or less. When we recommend a material, it's always on average 10 minutes or less. Meaning you're going to read a blog post, you may watch a video on YouTube, you may see a short segment of a, you know, a free training on from IBM. And, and so all of those things, we're breaking those up into 10 minute segments that are very focused on a specific skill, a very granular skill. And so that enables us to have people master skills granularly and kind of build up a knowledge base from there all 10 minutes at a time. Is it a dynamic of the nature today? Hey, we're trying to speed up every sport, uh, athletics that I can think of. It's like uh, baseball. They're trying to speed that up. Football. <laughs> so it's yeah. we, we got all these smartphones and our attention is, is like 10 minutes or less. And so now this is the new way of learning. Or do you say, well, that's just the way our brain works. We're just catching up. What's kind of funny is, is this research that shows that these are the best techniques. Actually, this research has been around since the 1940s. I'm not a historian. I have no idea why it's taking so long for this, for micro learning to take off. Um, there's something about, you know, maybe Western culture and the, the nature of our academics where the way we're learning, you know, where you learn, 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 test, learn, 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 test. Unfortunately, what actually happens is you learn, 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 test, forget, learn, 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 test, forget. <laughs> and um, there's research that's been around forever that, that shows that. For the life of me, I don't understand why that's not become a more common practice in learning. And so it's becoming more common now. Microlearning is definitely a, a movement. And, you know, if you think about language learning platforms like Duolingo, um, those are microlearning based. They're oftentimes flashcard systems. They're very effective at learning languages quickly, but also in retaining that information. And so that's not a brand new thing, but certainly there's a there's a movement around it. And why it hasn't always been that way, I'm I'm sure there are some other interests that and someone was profiting off of that model that made it more difficult for micro learning to take shape. 
maybe this technology has helped us in, in that manner. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. you would do better I mean, than me. Yeah. But I, it does resonate with me. And then, and the, I was a great test taker. But in fairness, I would take the test, do pretty good on it, and then forget every, everything the minute after. Of and course, that's, right? Yeah, that's me. I, I'm no different. <laughs> And, and it works for me. I mean, until you get older and you go, boy, I wish I would really learned that. So I got three girls and all three are different, but two to speak of. One's exactly like me, takes a test, gets good grades. And I got another one that at least she's getting good grades now. One of my daughters, I won't say, but she would learn it though. I mean, she'd learn it, learn it, learn it, but only the stuff that she was interested in. Right. Uh, and then the other stuff, I'd be like, yeah, the hell with that. So you take a test <laughs> and do well. But I guess what I'm saying is the irony of it is the one that was getting good grades didn't understand it near as good, not even a, a smidgen as good as the one that was interested in really just taking her time, but she couldn't test well. I mean, she just didn't care. She didn't, yeah. Anyway, to your point, it wouldn't capture her attention a lot of times. I mean, so she would focus on the stuff she would learn and she would know it to a T and teach my older one. I mean, like, She'd walk down the hallway and say, oh, you need to do this, this, and this. I'm like, and, and this is the one that doesn't want to test well. <laughs> so I, I think there's something to it. And yeah. I also noticed that, uh, I mean, a lot of people are going that way. Like I do the, the Fender play with my guitar, and they're five minutes. On the surface, you think, well, what the hell are you going to learn in five minutes? But it's amazing. You feel like you're getting something done. You get and you play five minutes. And then inevitably you say, all right, I got to do another five minutes. Oh, this is right. going well. Another five minutes. All of a sudden, I'm 30 minutes into it. And I've learned five different elements because they're in these compartmentalized. That's exactly right. There's a reason board. they're doing that. <laughs> right. There's, a good, there's good science behind that for sure. And so that's kind of similar to the way you're set up then. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's what's funny. And I can't speak to this as well as our co-founder and CTO. He's a data scientist as well as he could. But what's funny is that AI came about and and almost mimics this type of learning. So this learning was around in the 40s. And then AI are really, you know, the algorithms and that type of thing started coming out in the 50s and whatnot. Nathan and, and myself have done a presentation around learn like machines learn. Because mm -hmm. that seems to be intriguing to people that, oh, my gosh, machines learn like this. And so so, we, you know, that's the way we need to learn. Well, machines learn that's mimicked after actually how we learn. But for some reason, we don't implement that in the human capital world. And <laughs> we haven't been you know, following this model in the research, you know, even though it's been around for a long time. But machine learning does. And it's very effective. On a personal level, just before I get to ask this question. I mean, since you are the CEO of, of learning here, what's the best way to learn and stay on the uh, the wagon, so to speak, so that you keep up with it, you're able to, to, to keep pushing forward and you, you don't lose it, and then whether it's reading, learning, or otherwise? Yeah, I mean, I think you've, you've got to form a habit. And I mean, it does take discipline and committing to finding time. It gets a little bit out of sight, out of mind. I mean, certainly, I, obviously, I believe in, in micro learning, but even with that, it can be out of sight, out of mind. And so for me, you, you, you've got to find a some sort of pattern that works in your schedule. We have, we have customers that they'll pick up the phone and, and do a quick learning exercise in the morning when they wake up. You know, everyone has their own pattern, but it's important to find that. Um, is if you don't make it something that, you know, is, is a pattern or a habit, you know, it becomes difficult to continue to do that. For me, you know, and this is one of our priorities is, is this stuff has to be in front of people 
um, where they are. And so we can't have people have to go somewhere to learn. It has to be where they are at work. And so uh, we have a Slack and Teams bot that presents the same learning materials because there's too much friction. It's too out of sight, out of mind if people have to go somewhere to learn. If Slack or Teams is in front of me, and I'm much, much more likely to, to do something um, like this, like spend a few minutes learning. Um, if it's kind of right in front of me, it's there's no friction for me to do it. It's it's right there, and it's also very much tailored to what I need, so there's no waste. And that's, that's important to me, but I think we're all that way. I was going to ask you about that. How is it tailored? Is it tailored through the questionnaires, the assessment? Is it tailored through some AI that your CTO is driving? Or do you have some manual intervention to also complement the tech that you have to uh, to tailor a, a learning path? Yeah, we don't have any manual intervention per se. We do have algorithms that estimate the probability of you answering each and every question, whether you're going to answer it correctly or not. Um, we do have algorithms driving that. We have algorithms driving um, and estimating your forgetting curve. Um, like I said earlier, right after you learn something, you're likely to forget it quickly if you don't use it. And so we are forecasting when we should put topics back in front of you um, with those types of algorithms. So um, those are a couple examples. And then, you know, one of the things that is just fascinating, I don't know if you've looked at, you know, some of the NLP advances uh, are just yeah. are just unbelievable cool. right now. And this summer rolling out an ability to automatically start structuring topics like learning topics and then automatically generating assessment questions and automatically generating answers automatically finding the most topics with the most important and relevant topics within articles and generating assessment content it's it's unbelievable what's possible um, in this day and age it's really cool uh, what is success to you both i guess at the company level and the individual client level that you're working with there's so many learning systems out there that are just check the box you know, did you learn this? Check here. <laughs> and it's not really measuring skill. And so, you know, obviously we need to practice what we preach and we need to be data driven. So we are measuring learning velocity. We can forecast then when a person is going to achieve a certain level um, because we know their learning velocity. And and so we can be very data driven with customers and help them see when they can achieve the skill level that they want um, within certain areas of the organization. Our goals then are very, we're able to make them very data-driven. For us as a company, this is a big problem. And, and I think there just aren't a lot of solutions like ours. There are a lot of solutions focused on data skills, of course. Uh, it's a huge, huge need. There aren't a lot of solutions that are really enabling companies to do that across the enterprise, tens of thousands of employees in any sort of scalable way. And so for us, our vision, uh, you know, we have a mission and a vision. Our vision is to be... I, you know, I think we can be the company everyone looks to to have solved the skill or have the most most critical role in solving this, the data skill gap across enterprises. And I think we can be there in the next five years. That's our that's our vision is to have everybody say Quanhub. They made the biggest difference in the data skill landscape across the corporate world. And, you know, maybe that's that's lofty, but that's you know, I think we have the potential to be that. Are you venture capitalist funded right now? Uh, we are funded. We have angel, both angels and, and VCs. Yes. Nice. Uh, so uh, series A, series B, what? Uh, we're seed. Um, we're still, um, we've, we've raised a couple seed rounds. So probably be series A um, early to mid next year. Sounds good. Where can folks 
at least try or take an assessment or meet you where you are. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where, where's the place they can go? Yeah, I mean, obviously they can go to quanthub.com. If you're interested in getting a just a free individual account just to kind of experience the system, um, you can just simply go to upskill.quanthub.com and sign up for an individual account and just um, start the learning journey there. Upskill.quanthub.com, right? Yep. I got it. And you, you can kind of test and see what, what you guys are made of. That's right. Yep. Very, Absolutely. very good. Got a couple more questions for you, but uh, more on leadership. I wanted to ask you some leadership questions before we break. You know, in this podcast, like it's making data simple, but sometimes we don't do data. Sometimes we do uh, coaching, leadership, skill, right. yep. uh, you know, whatever. And data. Data's in there someplace. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the world today surrounds uh, data, so that's easy to do. So first question I have, you've been the leader of, of several companies and mm-hmm. in several companies. Do you have a fundamental leadership belief or a set of values that you stand by or stick with? Yeah, actually, one of the things that I believe, and, and I think this is true in society, I think this is true as a leader, I would say there's almost nothing I found to be more true than the truth is always in the middle. It's just something that I've experienced so many times. And, and I find as a leader, my role oftentimes is to help people find the middle. I think we're in a bit of a polarized society. It, you know, I mean, this there's just kind of a polar polarized nature to our interactions. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't just think that, yeah. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I think that's a big part of our problem is that it's, it's interesting actually back in the meet people where they are. We're not we're not taking enough time to see ourselves through the lens of other people. And, you know, we're not so different if, if we actually take the time to listen. I have found throughout my whole career, that's one of the things that is the most important thing I can do is, is always make sure I'm seeking the middle because it's so easy, particularly if you're stressed or there's something, you know, there's a crisis and you're hearing from two of your direct reports and you're probably hearing two different answers. I, in fact, I found 90% of the time you're hearing two different answers. And, and they both have some truth, and, and, but they also both have some um, context that's specific to that individual, not that they're lying. And, and it's, it's important to figure out what, what the real truth is and, and, and figure out what, you know, because it's in that messy middle. And finding that is the key in, in, in my opinion. There are a lot of things, of course, in, in leadership and a lot of things I've failed at and, and made mistakes in, in dealing with individuals. And, you know, I mean, it's just, we've all gone through that, but I think that's the, that's probably the thing I found most to be most true in, in both in just life in general and leadership. Truth is always in the middle. I like it. We can all learn from that. I wish the world would learn from that. <laughs> yeah, boy, don't we all. <laughs> You're big into people skills, of course, data skills. But in terms of overall roundabout skills, what do you think a leader's top skill, what skill do you value most in a leader? That's a good question. I would say two skills, empathy and humility. In my family, it's it's a joke where we just always say, get over yourself. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it's I think there's it's a real strength if a person doesn't take themselves too seriously. And I try. So I try. It's not that I'm not opinionated and that I I'm a type A person. I'm opinionated. And yes, I oftentimes think I'm right. But I try to be humble and not hold on to those ideas too tightly. I'm sure I'm sometimes successful at it. Sometimes I fail at that. But I think that, you know, level of humility 
then we can all sort of row in the same direction together. You know, there's not a lot of politics and empathy comes along with that, right? Seeing ourselves through the eyes of others and particularly customers. I think empathy is what allows organizations to be customer centric. And I happen to have sort of grown up, if you will, in very customer centric organizations. So I've been fortunate to have that sort of instilled in, in me, you know, through those organizations. I'm a big fan of um, Jeff Bezos at Amazon and how he talks about customer centric and, and customer obsessed um, a type of mentality. And, and, and I, I believe strongly in that. And I think it comes from a place of empathy. Have you ever heard of the 20-40-60 rule? It sounds familiar. Go ahead and talk. <laughs> well, you, it reminded me when you said get over yourself. <laughs> That's something that I've talked to my kids about, and they, they, I'm sure they don't remember it. But uh, I like the rule. It's like in your 20s, you think everybody thinks about you. In your 40s, you don't care what anybody thinks anymore. <laughs> and, and, and when you're 60, you figure out, hey, nobody's even thinking about me at all. Uh, you know, it's not about me. So that reminded yeah. me when you said, get over yourself. It's like, yeah, when you really get down to it, and I can see that happening, the older I get, it's like, yeah, nobody's paying as much attention to me as I think. To begin with. I think my kids, have, I'm 47, and my kids have convinced me that no one's thinking about me. So I'm, I'm and maybe that's why I feel like I'm 60. That's I'm, why, I'm like that's 47 going on 60. That's why everybody's going to have kids. So you have that humility. That's right. <laughs> You're not as cool yeah. as you think you are. That's right. They've helped me become much more humble quickly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about culture, company culture? Anything you say there? We, I mean, honestly, those values that I talk about, I mean, those are, those are things that um, I think are absolutely critical in the culture of a company. Um, I, you know, you don't get low politics if you have a lot of people that take themselves too seriously. And, you know, it's those two values are, are really are really important. And the other one, one of our, our core values is, and it's meant to be um, a little in tongue in cheek, but it's and, um, and sort of in quotes, it's and. and. And what we mean by that is that, you know, there's, we should always be looking for bigger outcomes out of the work that we're doing. So if I can take these two different things that I'm doing and I can bring those together and, and have a multiplier and do something bigger, then that's something that we should always make sure is in our mind. Now, you have to balance that with with focus and prioritization. You don't accomplish big things very often without big thinking. And so that's kind of why one of our core values is and because, you know, instead of being an or person, you know, how do I do this and that and, and accomplish both at the same time? We have this uh, design thinking philosophy. I mean, it's not really IBM's philosophy. It's just that we, we do a lot of design thinking. Absolutely. Where, yeah. Where, yeah. And you probably know about it where you're trying to, to, to come up with those big ideas. And one of the rules right. with the design thinking is there's no, but that's right. Uh, there's always and, and, and anytime you say, Hey, but now, nah, and then we, we, you correct it, you know, the, the person say it's, and it's uh, right. easy yeah. to remember or to do, but uh, I, it does make a difference for the same reason you're mentioning. Yeah, you're basically riffing off of other ideas, right? And, yeah. and you know, you, that can often lead to the best idea possible by not just discounting, you know, ideas and saying, okay, I, yeah, that's a bad idea. Let's, you know, or we could do this. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I totally agree with that concept. I love it. Hey, any book you can recommend? One of my favorite books actually on product is Monetizing Innovation. It's a tough concept. It's really about getting to the core of what drives customer behavior. 
I love that book. It's one of my favorites that I've ever read. I always recommend it to sort of product teams if I'm working with product teams. Love that book. Now, our um, CTO, he would say from a learning perspective, Ultra Learning is a really great book that's very much a, um, um, a book that focuses on the type of sort of continuous micro learning like what, um, what we talked about earlier. Hey, Matt, thank you for being here. This has been a great uh, discussion. I've learned a lot. See, you've taught me. So how much do I owe you? <laughs> hey, this is a freebie. It's all right. Oh, okay, good. thank you. That, that's great. All right. Well, thank you for being here. It's been a pleasure meeting you and, and talking with you. Uh, we'll put the URLs in the, in the show notes to make sure everybody knows their way and how to get in contact with uh, your company. Is there a personal, like uh, a LinkedIn or anything that you'd refer for yourself? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, my URL actually at LinkedIn is Matt Cowell. So I was I was either an early adopter or I I guess I was uh, I just maybe I got lucky. But uh, yeah, I'd love to connect with with anyone. I'd, I'm passionate about these topics. So anyone that wants to talk about it, I won't. I promise not to sell you. I I just love to talk about these topics. So yeah, I'd love to talk to any anyone that's listening on uh, on LinkedIn. All right, fantastic. It's it's Matt Cowell on LinkedIn, QuantHub dot com and upskill quantum.com which was where i'll be going I, anyway thank you so All much right. matt i greatly appreciate you talking with us today anyway appreciate it yeah thanks al i really appreciate it i enjoyed it and for those listeners as i always say to you thank you as well uh, i appreciate you being here uh, keep sending the referrals in uh that's where we get a lot of our guests and um you know look send it to al martin talks data at gmail.com we'll get back to you as soon as possible Thanks again and talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out.